Hi, welcome to Life Take Shape. I'm Denise Mullane. And I'm Trisha Beckham. Join us as we discuss what has shaped our lives so you can get your life in shape. Welcome to Life Take Shape. I'm Trisha Beckham. Denise, again, is still living the high life on her boat in New York. So it is just me for this episode. But my fantastic guest is Sarah Gail Galbraith. I didn't say that right. Galbraith. You say it, Sarah, because I'm just not doing a good job. Goodness. You, you did a good job. This is Galbraith. Galbraith. Sarah is the founder of Hope Relentless Marriage and Relationship Center, and she is actually a marriage and relationship coach, which is completely different than the licensed counselors that I have seen, that my listeners have seen. So I figured we need to get Sarah on the podcast and talk to her about this approach because I've been to 20 counselors over my lifetime. And, you know, I haven't always gotten the greatest results. So when Sarah and I met, it was at a mixer. I guess we shouldn't call it that. A networking event, Sarah, what would you? Right. It was a networking event. Social Connect. Connect. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can find it on Facebook, I think, and LinkedIn. So if you're interested in going to networking events and meeting wonderful people like Sarah, Tisha, who was also on my podcast uh, last season, she does the social connect. And so I met Sarah there, which I was supposed to be like networking to find business and like make money. But no, I was networking to do my free side hustle of podcasting because I love it so much. But anyways, that's where I met Sarah. And so when I said, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm a marriage and relationship coach. I went, oh, you're a counselor. She goes, no, I'm a coach. And I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is new and different. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, Trisha, but I asked about your dress because your dress oh. was just on point. <laughs> and so I was like, where did you get it? And then I even looked at the tag. And so that's how I did. You, you said, where did you get it? And I go, I don't know, but look at the tag, look at the tag and see, but it was an off brand. We didn't know. We didn't know. But yeah, that is a, that is a, a, a go-to dress of mine that I do. It's cute. It's a little edgy because it's a little bit short, but it also says I am a professional, yes. but I also know how to have a good time. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, you were so sweet and you actually gave me another compliment, but we're going to wait because that compliment's more pertinent to the, the middle to the end of the podcast content. Okay. That's my prediction. So, okay. Anyways, as all of our guests, anyways, welcome to the podcast. That's the first Thank thing you. I need to say. Happy to be here. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm so excited that you agreed to come on, especially after just meeting me. Right. I'm excited. I was looking forward to it. Good. I'm so glad. So we always like to start out with the same question. We want to find out where did you go to college? Where did you come up with this idea that you wanted to get into helping people with their relationships? So talk a little bit about where you went to college and then how did you happen upon your major? How did you make that decision? Okay. Well, I went to the best school for undergrad <laughs> <laughs> and our mascot was a baby Bruin, but we would say Bruins, W-I-N-S. And so oh, those yeah. of you who know, I went to UCLA for undergrad and A lot of the pride that comes with that is I played soccer there. I was captain of the team and a freshman All-American. So I was all about the soccer life and athletics. And uh, that's where I earned a degree in psychology. 
And then, wow. from, yeah. So from there, I went to uh, just down the street in Pasadena, Azusa Pacific University. And yeah. that's where I earned my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. That is so cool. Well, you and I are both soccer players. I, I mean, I'm not at the same level as you, let's just say that. But when <laughs> I was, you know, seven years old, I started playing AYSO. You're a little I bit, yeah. I think, yeah. younger than me. So when I started playing, it was like, everybody, we're going to let girls play soccer. Because this was like mm -hmm. early 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was like world shattering. Like, wait, the girls are going to play soccer? And so I was on an <laughs> AYSO team. But I did. I played uh, into high school, but that's all. But you had to be a phenomenal soccer player to go to UCLA. Yeah, I don't like to toot my own horn. But Please do. You... <laughs> I worked hard because for it. That's amazing. Where did you go to high school? High school, that's so long ago. Uh, I went to a couple different schools. So I ended up okay. at Mullen. It was called J.K. Mullen high school. It was a private Catholic school and it was very much sports orientated. Okay. And I think they were, they, you're not supposed to recruit, but you know, this day and age, they, they recruit through people who know you, your friends, Oh, come here and all that stuff. And so they initially wanted me for basketball, I believe, because I also was a basketball player and wow. I ultimately chose soccer. So yeah. Crazy. And did you go on a scholarship or you just were on the team? I went on a scholarship. Funny story, or actually wow. cool sto story. The coach at the time was Jill Ellis, who Jill Ellis is now, she's the head coach of a professional, a woman's professional team, and I think the San Diego team. She was actually the coach of the national team just up until recently. So she flew to my house to meet with my parents because she wanted me to go to the school so badly and that was just unheard of and that's she was smart though because mama swanson i was a, i was a swanson that's my maiden name mama swanson <laughs> was like my baby needs to be taken care of and this yeah. coach came to my house and had dinner with my family and so she really encouraged me to go to ucla oh my gosh and now where did you grow up you're you're not in the la area because if she flew where were you living right so i was in colorado Gosh, and you get recruited by UCLA. I mean, see, I'm from California. I'm from Southern California. So okay. UCLA is like the real deal, like big time. That is the California school, not okay. USC. That's the university <laughs> right. school. No, children. no Trojans. Yeah, no, boo. Yep. So, I mean, for a Colorado girl to be recruited by UCLA, that's, <laughs> I mean, wow. You had to be oh, like, you. what's happening? <laughs> thank you super exciting so why psychology yeah it's a it's a bit different than soccer <laughs> so for me I've always been very intrinsic and analytical and I grew up in a family like most families that have their different issues and so I saw within my own family I had certain dreams and hopes where you know when I grow up I'm gonna have a family that and this was honestly what I said, I'm going to have a, have a family that loves God and loves people because yeah. my family was great. And I am forever grateful for, you know, all that, that has come from my family. Yeah. And, and so just growing up, I was always interested in, okay, what makes people different? And in college, I actually met this woman who had just this amazing family and she had an amazing faith. So I'm a person of faith. I'm a Christian. 
And she was just so interesting to me because she would invite me to her house to have dinner. She'd come to my games and I would see a different dynamic of how people related in their marriage, for example, that I'd never seen before. And wow. even, so that's one thing with the marriage and family stuff. But then even with my teammates, I would just have conversations. And that's one thing people loved about me. They could always talk to me. They felt like I, I could, I was always a listening ear and had good advice is what they would say. And so yeah. I would meet with my teammates one-on-one -on -one and I would just talk to them. <laughs> this is before any of the psychology, you know, degrees or anything. And I would talk to them and I would just mostly encourage them. And so it basically is a part of my DNA. And I, I guess the outworking of it is a job in the counseling field. It's yeah. funny how there's people in your life that kind of shape you and, oh, you, yeah. you know, and they're not related to you. They just kind of come out of the woodwork and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, my yeah. life would have been a totally different story had I not met that person. Exactly. Exactly. And seeing, it, seeing an example, seeing a better way of doing things. You know, we hear about kids in inner city perhaps, and they sometimes they just need to lift their head and see an, a better way. And then they yeah. can go for that. But a lot of times kids don't even have that opportunity to see, oh, they don't have to be an athlete, for example, if they're a minority, they can be a doctor, they can be something else. If you just yeah. show them there's possibilities, you know? Yeah, I love that. That's so true. Okay, so you have a bachelor's degree in psychology, you have a mm -hmm. master's degree in marriage and family counseling. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you graduate with your master's degree. And then what happens? So then that, so when you graduate, and this kind of goes into the difference between a coach and a traditional counselor, yeah. because when you graduate the, the next track, and just so if anyone's looking to go back to school, if you're going to get a psychology degree, you should make sure that you want to follow through and do something in psychology, because the next step is a master's degree. But then after that would be a, um, a internship. So an internship is where you'd get 3,000 hours of client interaction. And then after you get those 3,000 hours, there are two tests that you do. And once you pass those tests, then you're licensed. Wow. And so that's, a lot. that's how, yeah, that's how it was at least when I was going to school. And so for me, I went through, got the master's and then started the internship. And I had about 1,500 hours. And that's when I'll use the name of the podcast, Life Took Shape. And <laughs> <laughs> you like that? I love it. So good. You're yeah. a professional. <laughs> and I got pregnant and I, I began, I wanted to start a family and we got pregnant. And so I found myself going to my internship and I needed those hours with clients. And I would be excited when people would cancel on me because that meant I would be able to be at home. And so- yeah. Ultimately, I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to shelf this because I want to, I want to be at home for the kids. And for me, it was hard to do all of it. Like I, I know many women, many men who do all of it, but for me, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to be at home with the kids during that young time. Um, yeah. And so then I stopped, I stopped getting the hours and then I guess I'll stop there because that might go into a different question. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I just want, I want to contextualize for people 3000 hours and this is my math on it. And so you mm -hmm. just correct me if I'm wrong. So okay. I took 3000 
And I said to myself, okay, the average person works 40 hours a week. So if we take mm -hmm. 3000 hours and we divide that by 40 hours a week, that's going to give me the number of weeks it's going to take me to get these 3000 hours. Mm -hmm. And what I come up with 3000 divided by 40 is 75 weeks. Yeah. And if that's, that's correct, you're doing this more than a year. Oh yeah. Yes. I'm like, oh my gosh, the numbers, I, I'm not a numbers person. I know. I'm not either. I'm not either, but I'm like, okay, how do we contextualize this? Cause 3000 hours, people are like, yeah, 3000. Well, I thought you had to have 10,000 hours to be an expert. It's like, okay, but we don't really know what 10,000, we don't know what 3000 hours are. So how do we put it into something that's meaningful to somebody that they can go, oh God, 75 weeks. That's right. a lot. That's a year. And then plus another 23 weeks, another 23 would, weeks, a year and a half. I think it was, it kind of panned out to about, you need to know two and a half years. Is, oh if I gosh. recall, because you don't get, you don't, you're not going to see 40 clients straight. You no. know, you're an intern. No. So it takes some time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it takes about two years is what I recall. Oh my goodness. And so you had gotten married. Uh-huh. Is that correct? So and, yeah, I got uh, married right out of college. Okay. And it, it was a planned pregnancy. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't do that. I don't plan pregnancies. So well, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm not pushing you on it. I just, I'm no, just I know. asking. I know. I'm going to take it back because it wasn't planned because the plan was to get married and to be married for five years and then, yeah. and then start to think about a family. But because we got married and I was 23, so I'm a cougar because my husband was 21. <laughs> and and girl, I know. I was like, I want to <laughs> die at the same time, you know? <laughs> we say two years different. <laughs> that, that is good forethought. I like it. But then we got pregnant two and a half years in. It was just like, oh, we're pregnant. And so we're still pretty young at that point. And we felt like teenage parents because even telling our parents, we're like, oh my gosh, we felt like we were like, teenagers who were saying oh we're pregnant because I had never even babysat before oh my gosh I, I played soccer my whole yeah. life was sports and so I didn't know how to do any of the mom stuff so yeah so it was not planned <laughs> that is wild absolutely wild but very cool I mean I once I got pregnant and I was I had just started working for an ad agency and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Like ad agencies are crazy, busy, 70 oh, hours bet. a week. You're running around like a oh. lunatic all the time. And I'm like, I haven't been here long enough to be pregnant. They're going to fire me. I was so stressed. And I remember calling the two principals in and I'm like, I I'm so sorry, but I'm pregnant. And one of the guys was like, what? And the other guy was like, Babies are always a blessing. <laughs> like, oh, first of all, those people. <laughs> yeah. First of all, how are you two in business? Because one was super oh, annoyed and the other one was like, and I was like, that's the best answer that anybody could have given me because I was just like, oh, thank you. It's going to be okay. He's like, oh, it's yeah. fine. Now, it, it wasn't fine when we were driving, you know, two hours to meetings and I was like, I got to pee. And they're like, again. And I'm like, pull the car over. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Anyways, I just, I always love that answer. Even if they're not planned, that's the best thing in the entire world. Yeah, yeah. So, well, how did you meet your husband? I mean, we know that obviously you guys were having babies. So let's back up a little bit and say, <laughs> where did you meet him? Did you meet him at Azusa? Did you meet him at UCLA? Did you meet him in high school? 
Yeah, so I met him at UCLA, and he ran track and cross country. And so, nice. yeah, so at UCLA, it felt like a little fraternity sorority because all the athletes would do things together. So you, you saw each other a lot. So because he was funny, funny thing, he was two and a half years younger than me. And one thing about my husband is he's white and I'm black. And so that in conjunction with being two and a half years younger than me, I was not looking for him. He was not on my radar. <laughs> and also this I was at great. UCLA, which UCLA has football guys, basketball guys. Yeah. And so I was, I was not looking for him nonetheless, because he was, he was skinnier than I was, because like I said, he was a runner. And so it just happened that we were at a soccer party. One of my teammates was having a party and we were both against the wall. And, and that's because when I dance, it's, I, I guess what I've been told is I have rhythm. It's just misdirected. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best compliment insult ever. Yes. So my husband's similar. And so I think we were just both against the wall and then we turn and we see each other and he knew me from this campus ministry called athletes in action. Um, wow. And so I was a leader in the ministry. So su supposedly his pickup line, if it was a pickup line was what church do you go to? And <laughs> at the time I didn't have a consistent church I went to. And so we just started talking about that and we were talking the entire night. And I remember thinking, I, I actually, I'm not tired of talking to this guy. Uh, and he had recognized, like I said, he recognized me from the Athletes in Action. And so we were talking and then it was time to leave. And my roommate, um, Whitney Jones, uh, she actually made the connection because she heard somehow where he lived. Yeah. And so after the party, she's like, Swanee, because they used to call me Swanee. It's like, let's go. We got we to gotta go find this guy. You didn't get his number. And you were talking to him the whole night. And so I we stalked him. We stalked him to his apartment where his other roommates were and everything. She goes in. She knocks on the door and it's late. They're sleeping at this point. Um, she knocks on the door and she's like, Chad, Swanee wants to get your number. <laughs> and so, so he, we get the, the number. Story. Yeah, we get the number. And I actually didn't call him for probably months. But when I called him, it was on accident because I had a really good friend on the football team and his name was Chad Nee. And so I thought I was calling Chad Nee one day and I actually called Chad and Chad was away for like a track tournament. And so it was like four in the morning, wherever he was. And he answers wow. the phone and is like, hello. And I'm like, oh my gosh. This, and I just played it off. And I was like, oh, hey, I'm just calling to say hi. And from that point on, we never stopped talking. Oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Okay, I have to ask. So why did you go months without calling him after you guys did this midnight run to get his number? You know, I don't know. And funny, <laughs> no one has ever asked me that. I, I, I don't. That's so funny. I don't know what I might project and say is, again, I wasn't looking for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? And you're like, yeah, we got caught up in the moment. It's fine. Yeah. He's okay. So you were a junior, you think? And he was a freshman? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. Well, good for you. What a lucky guy. Oh, that's what I, I'd like to say that. But he's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. I just, he's amazing. I'm a lucky girl. 
Well, and I don't, I was, I was lucky enough to see a picture of you guys and they, I mean, for my, for my listeners, they are the cutest couple. So hopefully we'll have a picture of the two of you just because you guys yeah. are so yeah, I can find one of those. Thanks. So Thanks. very cute. Well, that is very exciting. So you guys get married after you graduated and he graduates or is he still in college when you got married? So he just, I mean, it was a little interesting. He got his degree, I think, after. I think he was finishing up some classes, if I recall. Okay. Gotcha. So, because that would have been close. Yeah, I'm not sure on the time exactly. All right. So you were getting out of your master's program or you were getting out of your bachelor's program and you got No, married. bachelor's. When we got married, okay. it was right after my bachelor's. Wow. And then waited, like, I think I waited my, maybe a year or so, and then went and got my master's degree. Interesting. I, yeah. and, and so you're pregnant at 20, how old? Three? 25 was my first okay. boy. So two and a half All years right. after got married. Yep. Yeah. I had my first son at 26. So even then okay. I felt, I felt very young. Like you said, yeah. like, are my parents going to be mad that I'm pregnant? I know I'm married, <laughs> but they're probably going to be pissed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was so unexpected. And well, ba going back to the wedding, Chad, my husband, he had just turned 21. Our wedding was in July. His birthday was in June when he turned 21. Oh my gosh. He wouldn't have been able to do the champagne toast had you done a May wedding. I know. You know, there's a school of thought and I have a school of thought about getting married young, but I'm curious, what do you think about it? Since you've been married and you got married young, would you promote it to people or would you say, you know what, maybe wait until you're 30? Where are you, you know, on that? It's, it's interesting because I think both ways have benefits. I think the most prudent thing is to get married when you're older. And the reason being is our brains aren't even developed fully until like, yeah. you know, there, you still have that teenage brain still. I, I think recently I heard until you're like 23 or something, maybe 25. And yeah. so even the experience you have, you're not who you are really when you're coming out of those ages and you're that young, you don't have anything established, most people at least. Um, yeah. and you're still getting to know yourself. So all of that comes into play. And when I talk to marriages that are young and they're getting married, we talk about this because statistically the younger you are, like if, if you're really young, then that's not statistically good. Like, because, and as we would imagine, because people grow, they change, they don't grow together often. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I love that we got married young because thankfully we were a good match, you know? And yeah. I, I won't say we were a good match because we were diligent and we did all the things right because we, we didn't, we, we didn't get the, the counseling that we needed. We asked for counseling, but <laughs> one of the yeah. counselors we asked was just like, you know what, you guys, you guys love God. You love each other. You're good. But that's like, <laughs> that's literally what he said. And wow. so, and when you think about being an interracial couple, that's a whole nother thing that that's statistically that's harder to do. So we were interracial, we were young and we didn't have any kind of career. So, but, okay. So I'm like kind of putting up a case against getting married. young. <laughs> well, but, I think you're saying it, it worked for you, it but the odds are against you. Yes. They're not in your favor. But, yeah. The odds are not in your favor as yes, you know from Hunger Games. Exactly. But then you have like, we had our kids young. And so now I'm like, the kids are older, they're independent. 
and my body is older. And so I don't yeah. have to do the same strenuous things that like I have friends that are my age that just are, have newborns. They just had babies and some are pregnant. Oh. And so that, that makes me so tired. Oh, I think I need I a know. nap. <laughs> so tired. But then they're more established. They have their home. They have their careers. They're a little mature. They don't have the, the arguments that perhaps my husband and I have because we were yeah. basically little kids growing up together. And yeah. so there's benefit to that as well. Very true. Very true. I always have said, so I got married when I was 26. Okay. I met my husband when I was 21, but we got married when we were 26. Uh, he's, he's five years older than me. So he was 31. Okay. But here's my thing. And this is what, and I don't know if it's, it's dependent on your age. It could have nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. But I was so independent because by the time we got married, my career was established. I had a condo. I kind of was self-sufficient. And so I really was like, eh, I don't know what you're bringing to the table because I'm kind of good <laughs> over here. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. like, I, I wanted somebody, but there was some, I felt like there was some bonding that was missing that I couldn't get because I had done all this stuff kind of without him. I don't know. It was a weird thing. So I always tell people there's this middle ground. I don't know what it is where you're too young, but they're then you're either too young or you're too old. And the middle ground is where you want to get married. Right. You know what I mean? Because right. if you're too independent, it's kind of like, you know, you didn't buy your first, like the first property you ever owned, you owned mm -hmm. with your husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the first property I owned, I owned by myself. Yeah. So I don't know. And, and again, it doesn't have to solely do with the age. It has to do with who I am and who he is. But right. I always say to people like, I don't, if you meet a high school sweetheart, like those people, I feel like they really seem in my experience, which sounds weird. It sounds like it's contrary to what you hear. They mm -hmm. seem to have a stronger bond. It depends. I see a lot of high school sweethearts and they, they come to me because they're at year like 17, 15, yeah. right? And oh. it's, it's, they don't know what to do because they, they've been together for so long and they're still at an age where potentially they can, you know, be with someone else, even have a whole yeah. new family. Yeah. But what I find is that they've just stopped doing the things they used to do and they've gotten comfortable and complacent. But what I, and so that's easy to work on. We can, we can work on those things. But what I tell them at the same time to encourage them is that, Hey, you guys are very special. No, not many people can say they have known the person they're with for this duration of time. Like you guys yeah. have literally grown up together and that's, that's irreplaceable. You can't fabricate that. And so the bond that you have if you'll let it continue to grow and if you'll, you know, stick, stick it out and continue to learn new ways of interacting with your old person, you know, yeah, that, that's going to be stronger than, than most marriages could be because you just, the time you've had together. And so I try to spin it for them in that way, because I, I think that's true. It's really special when someone's been together that long and gone through so much together. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And you're so right about, you know, the timing of that, because I'm, 49. I just got divorced. And I was like, Oh, boy, I really should have thought of this when I was 40. You know what uh -huh. I mean? Yeah, Cause yeah. It's like, now yeah. you're like, I don't know, what am I looking for somebody that, exactly. that, that can be, you know, a grandparent with me. It, it's just not the, it's not ideal timing. And of course, you're not like, well, I better get divorced this year, because I still want to be able to get remarried. Like you don't ever do that. But yeah. if there is something to timing, like you could have had an entire 
new life with this, mm -hmm. with this second person. So mm -hmm. it's interesting that you say like, it, it is very much when people start going, you know, I could have a second shot if I do it now. So we better yeah. figure out if this is going to stick or not. So that's a the real bit. thing. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so you said uh, the word complacent. And I think that that's an important word that I want to spend some time on. Okay. So because I'm divorced, I talk to all sorts of divorced people. That's all. We all want to tell our sad, sad story. Oh, and it's a real and story. it is a real story, but it is a sad story. And it's, it's interesting to me that I don't know if there's a marriage that gets around complacency. I don't know that a couple can stay married and not get to that point where they're complacent. And I find that men are able to be complacent for a really long period of time. And there's a lot of married men that I talk to that are very much like, it's bad. It's not getting any better, but this is what it is. Ooh. And I don't meet. <laughs> I know. I know. I, one of my very best friends. Is, is miserably married mm. and I, I always say then fix it and he says I can't mm -hmm. I, yet I say yes you can you don't want to mm -hmm. there's something that works in this dynamic that the woe is me and this is how it is and there's nothing I can do to make it better that works for you and so you're stuck here and it, it makes me absolutely crazy I don't find as many women who are able to be complacent like, they're just mm -hmm. like, no, this needs to be fixed right now. What has your experience been with that kind of gender, I don't know, difference in complacency? Yeah, it's, I think, stereotypically, a lot of men aren't as verbal about their complacency. So just like you said, they, like, if you were to actually ask them, then they will, it'll come out. Yeah, you know, I'm not very happy. But it yeah. doesn't come out until you kind of twist their arm a little bit, because I think, stereotypically men are just fixers and so it's like it's not worth talking about things unless I'm going to fix it or bring yeah. solution to it and so I think that like, like when you said you know your friend is married and they're unhappy and they know that but it's they've concluded this is just how it's going to be yeah. that makes me cringe inside because this is what I this is why I do what I do because yeah. I think when it comes to marriage the person you're married to impacts your day to day, your life on a whole tremendously. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in a situation that is not, I'm not talking about perfection here, but that is not thriving, it's not growing, then your capacity as an individual will not be as strong as it could be because you're, you're, you're attached literally to this person. Like when you get married, yeah. you, you have to consider another person. That's just the reality. You can't live yeah. independent lives and have a healthy marriage. You just wouldn't be married at that point. And you know, right. if that's your choice. And so what I like to help couples see is that that's not the goal. The goal is not to get marriage help or whatever. So we can learn to exist together. The goal is to get on a page where that you both are excelling in what you're doing. You're supporting one another, but you're growing together, moving forward in the adventure and the excitement that can be marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it is, it is challenging because I'm like, well, go do something about it. Like, uh, get divorced like I did. <laughs> yeah. And he looks at yeah. me, he's like, 
you're miserable. I'm like, I am miserable. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, how's that working for you? I'm like, it's not good. He's like, then be quiet. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it because it, it can be overwhelming, especially if you have years and years. But yeah. I'm not joking when I tell you I've had clients. I had one in particular after the second session. So they had been married, I think, 13 years. And yeah. they had two kids and they're like, you know, we're, they were coming to me to just say, Hey, you know, I think we want to separate because like, like I said, we're at that age, you know, we can still, you know, meet other people and we've just been doing this thing and it's the same stuff. And so they were ready to separate. And so I was like, okay, well, let's talk it through. And I gave them just a couple's perspective shifts where I said, Hey, you're going to have to do the work anyway. So whether yeah. it's with this person you're with, or if you're going to find a new person, you're going to have to do the work anyway. Exactly. Um, and I think it was, it might've been that, I feel like there might've been something else, but the next session, so this is their third session. They were like, we've recommitted to each other and we're going to, we're going to stick with, stick with it. We're going to continue with the program you're doing and we're going to wow. see how it goes. And I was just kind of, I felt kind of silly. Cause I'm like, I didn't even do anything. <laughs> All I did was say, look at it like this, not like that. And they were yeah. like, okay, wow. That's just a testament though, 13 years. So one perspective shift can actually change the, the trajectory of the next 13 years. And so they just celebrated their next anniversary. So I don't, if it was 13 years and now they're 14 and they're Amazing. so, they reached out to me. They're so excited and they're loving each other and they're growing, but I just think it's amazing because I get it. It seems like it's too much. You've been doing the same thing. But a lot of times when we look at the patterns that exist in your relationship, we recognize, oh, you're doing the same thing because you're doing the same thing, literally. Yeah. So yeah, let's try literally. something different and let's operate with different patterns and let's be aware that this is what we're doing. And then also let's have a conversation, a, an honest and authentic conversation of yeah. what's really going on. So there's so much that we can dig into before you get to a point where you're like, this is my, my doom. <laughs> I'm married yeah. and forever and not happy and whatever, you know, that's, I don't, I don't believe in that. <laughs> yeah. I don't either. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to listen and, and say, okay, well, but you know, I try to be supportive best I can. And yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me if I ask you, what are the top three most common issues. Like when you have, you have all these couples coming in and you're like, oh my gosh, it's these three things that seem to really get couples stuck in kind of those negative spirals, you know, those negative interaction patterns. Mm -hmm. So I would say the same problems, kind of like I was talking about where it's been, they've been married 14 years and they have the same issues and they just don't know how to break the cycle. Yeah. And it's just tiring. So that's a, that's a big one. And so um, we, there's a lot that we talk about regarding that. Like one of them is the patterns. One of them is how you look at the, the problems that you're talking about. And we examine the problems and recognize that there's some problems that are perpetual. Um, yeah. We talked about John Gottman yes, at the did. networking event. And so he has a big thing where it's, he, it's called perpetual problems. And so those are problems that just exist and they're, they have more to do with personality than yeah. with anything else. And so how you approach those problems are different. And sometimes that just brings so much freedom for couples 
because they realize that they've been approaching these perpetual problems in the wrong way and they need to be focusing on something different. And so we, we walk through how to do that. And then I would say another big one is just an adjustment issue, like to new seasons of life. So when people have a baby, when people move, we saw a lot of this with um, COVID in 2020, you know, all of a sudden both are in the home and they're like, who is this person? (laughs) And so that was a big one with just adjusting to the new season. There's, there's always things that we can do. What I like to say is if you can, if you're willing to do the work, then we can make some progress. If you, if you, and then also if you think, so you have to be willing to do the work, but if you think that your marriage can get better, then it's going to get better. And that's because it's the power of the human mind going in the same direction. You start to do things you didn't do when your goal is to have a marriage that's flourishing. And then uh, in line with someone who's helping, giving you, I, you know, like talking to you about ideas and giving you accountability, then it all is continuing to go in the same direction. The last one I'll say is communication. That's a big one. It's a little cliche. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is. As a communication professor, it is very cliche. But yes, I will let you continue. (laughs) Right. It's cliche because everyone, that's what everyone wants to lump the problem into. Like, we just can't communicate. And yes, there's some reality in there. And what you offer is, would be amazing for couples because there are some skills couples need to learn that like the perception where it's just, if the perception shifts, the marriage shifts, if the communication, if you just do one different, one thing different, then you can see a different result and that could make all the difference. And so, um, but a lot of what I see with communication is people are assuming that they know what their spouse is going to say. They know what their spouse thinks. And they're holding them to that because sometimes they see, oh, this is the pattern. This is what they always do. They used to do this. So I'm not even going to bring this up because this is what they're going to say. And that, and then like when we're in session and we talk about this and then I ask the spouse, is this what you think? Is this what, is this what you would have said? Most of the time they say, no, I don't think that she or he keeps saying this, but I don't think that. And wow. they get frustrated because their spouse is putting thoughts and expectations over them that they don't even adhere to or agree with. That's a big right. one. Yeah, that is a big one. Well, it's interesting too, because one of the principles of communication. So every first day of class, the new semester has started and I do my first day lecture. And the, one of the principles of communication is communication can't fix everything. It uh-huh. just can't. There are some problems that cannot be solved by communication. For example, if you're married to an alcoholic, if your spouse is an alcoholic, you can talk about that all day long. It Mm -hmm. is not going to solve the problem. Right. Right. If somebody is unfaithful to their spouse, you can talk about that infidelity and why, why did it happen? And what are you going to do to prevent it? Blah, blah, blah. But you're still not going to be able to fix the fallout from that by talking about it. Do you know what I mean? Like you can communicate it to death, but there comes a point in time where you've talked it too much. And now you're doing actually more damage by talking about it because you've talked it to death. And some things don't make sense. And there's not simple answers for things. And sometimes it's just, hey, this is how this relationship has gone and you're trying to make the best of it. And it's not, it's not going to be solved by communication, but it definitely 
could be helped by changing your perception, right? Right, right. And if anything, I think communication when it comes to marriage helps us to make a plan to move forward. Yes. Yes. There has to be action. We're not just communicating just to shoot the breeze. We're yeah. communicating in a respectful way. We're learning ways to communicate because we want a result ultimately. And yeah. so even within the case of an alcoholic, if that alcoholic can do the individual work, I'm a big proponent of doing the individual work. Like, like for you, when you're saying you were independent, you had your stuff together when you were young, that makes a fantastic spouse because then you find another person who's independent, has their stuff together, and then you guys merge. <laughs> and then, Should I have looked for that, Sarah? <laughs> oh, my. So yeah, it matters, the health of the it individual, does. because we think this other person's going to complete us when yeah. really we need to be doing the work on us. So with an alcoholic, for example, if they can communicate, okay, this is what's happening. This is why I go to the bottle. And that's a, that's a long process and journey for them to you know get through that but at least that communication will help catapult their journey because yeah. then they'll become aware which is a huge thing and then they can start to put some steps in place but then that's that's them personally so when we talk about the marriage then that we have to look at that specifically because at this point a lot of couples i see they're dealing with multiple things they're oh, you know yeah. one of the one of the spouses is dealing with anxiety depression another one might be addicted to pornography and so for me, I make sure I tell them, hey, I'm working on the marriage. And so these other things are priority though. And so we need to have some plan in place. You need to have someone you're talking to, another coach, another professional regarding these areas because they impact the marriage so tremendously that the work we do with the marriage will be very minimal if we're not yeah. simultaneously working on these other things. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting approach. When my husband and I went back to counseling for the 200th time mm -hmm. uh, in 2020, we were having one of those, and we're both very uh, extroverted. We're both very charming. And we okay. both like to uh, show the counselor that it's not us. Like, let me, <laughs> let me demonstrate for you my competence as a communicator, right? And it was just so bad. So we would go in there and these counselors would just be like, okay. And so finally, this counselor said, um, I can't help you guys together because there's so much work that you need to do individually. Mm. He said, yeah. so I'm so happy to help you, but you need to go deal with this and you need to go deal with that. And you can't do it in the same room because you, neither one of you will shut up long enough. You know what I mean? We yeah. would just rehash our arguments in front of a counselor and have them referee. That's my counselor. So okay. I was so grateful for him to finally say, enough is enough. You're yep. going to go to this person. You're going to go to this person. Now I went to my person and I was thrilled. And mm -hmm. my husband said, nope, mm. it's, it's not me. It's her. And I was like, okay. Yeah. So I was, I was grateful for him turning me loose because really I did need that individual counseling and I was getting yeah. nothing from the couple's counseling. It was, it was so argumentative and just, we were at each other and it was like, oh, I was so grateful. So it's so nice to hear you say that so many couples, the first thing they say is we need to go to counseling and yeah. how refreshing would it be to hear that a spouse goes, you know what? I'm just not being the best partner right now. Right. And I think I need some counseling. Like, could you imagine you would be like, you do good for you. I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. Yep. 
But I think there would be, there would be more people that would say, oh, you're going to counseling. Oh, well, gosh, if you're going, maybe I should go too. Because I think there is some personal work that needs to be done sometimes before you can work. Yeah. I, and I've had couples like that where it's just like, okay, well, I do an intake. Excuse me. I do a consultation, like a free consultation with couples before I meet with them. And so I'll ask some of these questions to vet it out and get a feel for the couple. And so depending on what they're dealing with, I will automatically just say, hey, you know, I would recommend you see this type of person. Um, I might refer someone to a licensed professional counselor if they're dealing with an active mental disorder, because ideally I would love for that person to see someone who can prescribe medication, but also monitor that in sessions and ask, how are you doing? Do you need more? Do you need less? And all that. So definitely, I think the individual work is crucial, but not only in crisis, I would really love to revolutionize marriage help and see it as something we just do throughout our lives. Just like you go get a physical every year, Mm -hmm. hopefully, and then Mm -hmm. you do other checkups throughout. You get your your teeth cleaned because you have one body and you're caring for that whole body. And so with a marriage, I mean, why? Why don't we do things consistently to tune us up because this is the most important impactful relationship in our life literally because we see this person and they're they they affect everything so that's what i would like to change the conversation to as far as not just in crisis this is from from pre-marriage pre-marriage we do our premarital and then we get a plan year by year of how we're sewing in and investing into our marriage yeah, that's, yeah, that's a phenomenal approach. And I think you're right. It's kind of one of those things where, why are we running the counselors when the house is on fire? It's yeah. like, you know, do you wait and dial 911 when pretty much the only thing left is, you know, the trunk at the end of your bed? Well, no, the second you exactly. see the fire started, you go running. But how about this? How about you make sure your entire house is fireproof before yeah. you're even faced with a fire? You know that, that's, hey, yeah. the house this house is going to be okay because we've done all the work to make sure that no fires can start here. That's you know? a good analogy. And I just, I believe in people, you know, I, when I sit with a couple, whether it's zoom or in person, I, I genuinely like feel like they're great people. Like I see their personalities. I see them share stories and they smile. And I see the, I see the love between the couple. And it's just like, if you guys, if you guys loved each other at one point, you guys were doing well at one point. If you yeah. guys would step back and you would just take the time to, you know, do what you need to do on yourself. And then also to, to, so to invest, do the things you did before in the relationship, you're going to get back to where you were. You are, you have to, because there is something there still. But the thing is couples don't reach out in time. They just, yeah. you have these two great people and they become miserable and mm-hmm. it flows over onto their children, into the, com- you know, the community and all this, all this, because they're just miserable. And I just look at these people and I'm like, you guys are, you, you know, there's a purpose for your life yeah. individually and collectively. And look what's happening. And it, I just feel like I feel so bad, honestly, um, for them. But then I feel hopeful because I'm yeah. like, we're going to get you going. We're going to, we're going to help you to see how amazing you are individually and also how you guys can work together in your marriage and bring that, those loving feelings back. Um, because I truly believe marriage has the ability to impact families. Obviously, if you have your mm-hmm. kids, 
Mm-hmm. And then the kids that you have the ability, your family to impact your community that you exist in, you know, like you, you have a, a flourishing family, not a perfect family, but one that is authentic, one that is um, saying sorry when they make mistakes. And then the community really impacts the world. And so we can literally change the world one marriage at a time is, yeah. is what's at stake here is what I'm, that's why I'm passionate yeah, we can hear the passion. And that's really, I think there's probably a lot of counselors that get very jaded, right? You know, they've yeah. been divorced themselves. And, yeah. and they just see marriage after marriage. And I'm sure they feel at times hopeless, like, gosh, oh, yeah. what, you know, what difference am I? So it's nice to, and refreshing to hear somebody say, hey, I can change the world one marriage at a time. And it is, you know, it's, it's one of those things where because I meet so many people that are, are divorced now, it's like, uh, they'll say to me, God, getting divorced was the best thing I ever did. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> because it is by far my greatest failure. I'm embarrassed mm. when I have to say that I'm divorced. I feel sad that I have to say that I'm divorced because honestly, it is the most important relationship. And the people that go, oh no, your most relation, your most important relationship is with your kids. I go, oh my God, no, that's yeah. not true. That's not true. It's the person that you're with forever and your kids, they grow up and they go away and they may yeah. live in the same city as you. They may not. And they may be living a totally different life for you. So it's like, whenever I meet people and they go, oh, my life was terrible. This is the best thing I've ever done. I go, oh, okay. And it, it says a lot, I think, about that person that they're, they, they count it as an achievement. And for yeah. me, I'm like, no, that was a failure. That's a huge failure. And I'm, I'm sad that that's on my list of failures. I wish it wasn't because I don't think that there's any glory to be had for saying, yeah, I got divorced and I'm, I'm so glad I did. Really? I mean, I, I yeah. guess if it's a really abusive relationship, I could, I could see that and why they would say that, but it wasn't my experience. So it's just like, God, you know, this is, this is a bummer. This is really, yeah. it's really a huge failure and one I wish I didn't have. And well, yeah. And one thing I would say to you is I look, so when I'm looking at the marriages, yes, I'm working with marriages, but I also work with women, you know, who are married. And I, I, I believe you as a woman are valuable, are purposeful, are, you know, like you are worthy. And so what I like to do is I like to build you up and help you to see, you know, there is no condemnation, right? Like yeah. there's no need to feel shame. You knew what you knew and, and now you know what you know. Yeah. And so you can't, you can't take that back. And that's just how it goes sometimes. And sometimes with marriages, it does benefit everybody if it dissolves, you know, like yeah. in cases of abuse affairs, if you can't work through those, you know, it, sometimes like I never want someone to try and make it work when they're in danger. <laughs> yeah. It's right. Like, we're not, that's not what we're trying to do here, you know? Yeah. And so it does depend on the circumstance, but I think for the individual, it's recognizing, Hey, there's still a lot ahead for you. And what makes the marriage is the individuals. And that's back yeah. to the, the work that you do as an individual, but it should give you confidence to know that, there's whatever you have having your heart to do moving forward you can still do if it's finding love you can that can happen but i think the more the individual is doing the work on themselves the more they're getting to know themselves better getting to know what they want better the better they're going to be in in identifying that potential spouse 
because the thing is when you get married again with every marriage statistically it goes down the success the success rate goes down significantly yeah there's some significant numbers which is why i will never do it again but certainly people do and and right. there's a lot of second marriages that are wonderful yeah but and yeah I, I think it goes down just my my thoughts on this i'm sure the research actually has more um statistics regarding exactly why but what I have seen is it's because you take yourself into that next relationship. So yeah. if you're not doing the work, so this guy, he's like, oh, it's the best, best thing I've ever done. He's going to take <laughs> himself into the next relationship. And so where he wasn't introspective and didn't see his part in the, in the marriage, yeah. that's just going to go into the next one. And I bet he'll have similar problems. Unless, I mean, because if he didn't grow, he's bringing himself and I bet he's not perfect. And yeah. so there's going to be some similar things. And so, but then there's also like with the pre-marriage, why I love pre-marriage, because sometimes you don't choose a match that is actually like a good match. And yeah. then if that doesn't happen, there's still hope. You just have to kind of do it the hard way because you have nothing in common or there's nothing. You are very volatile of a match, you know, like you're, all of it is a mess. And so you yeah. can still do you know, if you're willing, like I said, if you're willing, and if you believe the marriage can work, we can still make it work. But it's going to be a little different than someone who was diligent in the beginning, and actually, you know, went through premarital, asked the tough questions, looked at the red flags. Yeah, true. You're right. Yeah. And it's, it's very apparent. I can have a 10 minute conversation with somebody who just got divorced and men, especially, and you're just like, Oh, so this is an issue and this is an issue and this is an issue. And I will never say this to them, but it takes mm -hmm. me 10 minutes to easily yeah. identify this is what we have going on because somebody who blames their, their spouse for everything, that's a problem right there. Like yeah. if all they say, and what I always try to say is, you know what? I was a really difficult wife. Mm -hmm. I was a very difficult wife. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of mistakes that I made and I wish mm -hmm. I could go back and I wish I could have been different. I wish I would have gotten trauma counseling earlier. I wish I would have done mm -hmm. this or that. I wish I could mm -hmm. have. And, and to me, that's what I'd rather hear from somebody. But when it's yeah. all about, oh, I hear this a lot. My wife was crazy. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say she was crazy because of you. Yeah. <laughs> I just say, if she I was mean, crazy, what was making her crazy? Because women aren't crazy just to be crazy. We don't like yeah. feeling that way. We are emotional beings and you love us for it. You yeah. love us because yeah. we are emotional and yeah. you like being on the roller coaster. So don't pretend that you hate <laughs> it because sometimes you like the ride. Yeah. And so if we're crazy, I want you to stop. And I want you to tell me, why was your wife being so crazy? Mm -hmm. Where was your part in that? Because yeah. yeah, her part was not to act so crazy and to communicate in ways that didn't make you feel like she was crazy, right? She could have taken it down a notch and done some breathing and said, okay, this is why I'm so angry. This is mm -hmm. why I feel so cheated. This is why I feel so scared and hurt. She could have done that. But what were you doing that made her feel like she had to act that way? Right. Have you ever seen, I guess, even with yourself, you know, you're with a, one person and it just the best comes out of you. Yeah. yeah. And then you're with another person and it's like, ah, and the worst. Yes. And so that just shows people bring out certain things in people. Yeah. And so then part of marriage coaching, it's, it's helping you to bring out the best in each other. Because again, when I'm sure. looking at you as individuals, it's like, you guys are great people. 
You're, you're yeah. amazing. Yeah. And so Together you're struggling, but secondly, right. you're okay. Right. So there's this emotional uh, like wave, if you will, that is, has all these mixed signals in it that is happening, existing between the two that we have to sift through. And it's, yeah. and part of it is we talk about one thing at a time. It takes time because there's a, it's, we're dynamic people. And so mm-hmm. if we can get into that place where, again, people are willing and they believe the marriage can be better, then we can sift through all the muck and we can get back to a place where you have your two fantastic people and let's start operating in a way how we do with other people <laughs> that we're actually agreeable and pleasant with. And right. part of it is culture doesn't help when it comes to relationships and marriage because it it doesn't model how to prioritize our relationships we're also busy and the things that we watch influence us of how it should be yet we don't know how to put into work the work to make it a reality and really the shows we're watching are not even reality so it's it's a we're kind of up against a lot which again is why i want to encourage getting the help or just the the investment in the marriage before a struggle because we're up against a lot already when it, when you get married. And yeah. so it's just getting those things in place and that foundation. But one thing I wanted to say is if you, if someone is struggling listening to this, an interesting statistic by Gottman again, is that on average couples wait about six years of struggling with something before oh they get gosh. help, before they get six help. Years. Six years. Oh. <sighs> So it's so like, what do you think is going to happen when, when you get help after six years of struggling and like being at your wit's end? It's like that oftentimes is not going to be the best use of your time. And, you know, it's like, oh, we tried counseling and then you separate because it's already, you've been doing it for six years. So it's kind of like if you, for health, all of a sudden you have this heart thing, you're not going to wait six years. You're going to go right. get it fixed. Or you're going to go look at it, examine it. You're going to do whatever it takes to get this right. And that's yeah. the, what we have to view as our marriage. Okay, wait, this doesn't feel right. Okay, let's not wait. Let's go just talk with somebody about it and then be on our way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, six years. Yeah. Well, one of the things I did want to, you said, uh, I like to build people up. I like to build women up. And one of the things you said that built me up the first time I met you is we were talking about Gottman and because I'm a communication professor, I teach a lot of Gottman. I actually just did a little interactive video for my students the other day. And um, I thought about your comment and I said, uh, people always say, well, what do you do? And so now they know I'm divorced and then I have to tell them I'm a communication professor and they look at me like, oh, I see. So you can't do it. So you teach it. And I go, that's funny. Mm. But um, what you said to me, what was so brilliant is don't forget, I think John Gottman's been married and divorced a couple of times. And (laughs) he... He is beyond brilliant. Like I may have some <laughs> communication knowledge, but he is a brilliant, John Gottman is, I mean, he yes. really is like the marriage relational whisperer, I guess is yep. the only way to say it. I mean, he's phenomenal. But uh, I was so grateful for that comment because it was like, you know what? Yeah, I teach communication and yes, I can communicate, but also I'm divorced. So yeah. 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 And you have a special, you learn something from being divorced. Yeah. You know, yeah, and so you have a different perspective. I've learned a lot. Yeah. And I think that's what John Gottman, the same with him, right? Like he's learned what doesn't work and, and he's researching happy couples as a result of what does work. 
Yeah. And his wife now and he are phenomenal. I mean, if you listen to interviews, they're, they're on a lot of podcasts together mm-hmm. and they're just like, you're like, yes, this works. Yeah. They respect yeah. each other. They're loving and kind. And But yeah. anyways, uh, you know, the one thing I asked you if we could talk about on this podcast was sex. Oh, so yeah. let's talk <laughs> about sex, baby. Let's talk about talk you about and me. me. Let's, yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those top issues that couples face. I don't know. It's money, sex, and I don't know what the third one is. Probably communication would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, you know, sex is a problem. I I know I have several friends that it's a problem for. They don't want to have sex with their husbands, and so they don't. Uh And uh, oftentimes, I hear from their husbands just because I I know them as a couple, and their husbands are very vocally unhappy about it. And Mm -hmm. so then they express this unhappiness, and then the the wife is kind of like, yeah, well, guess what? I don't have to. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, oh, no. And I see this going on, and I, I know a little bit about how men function with sex and how they function without sex. Mm-hmm. And there's been TED talks on it. And I mm-hmm. don't feel as bad. And maybe I should, maybe I should feel as bad for women, but I don't because I don't think women need sex as much as men do. Although it is a physiological need for all human beings. Right. And I teach that in my class. It's part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's on the bottom, which is you have to have it to survive. And there's all these couples going without it. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, what have you heard, seen, and what's your philosophy? Yeah, so interestingly enough, I don't hear a lot about um, sex issues up front. Usually what happens is, you know, there's a communication issue, they're just not getting along, um, you know, they have the same patterns, the things we already talked about. And then when they go through, I have this 12-week course that we go through, When they go through that, one of the things we talk about, one of the days is intimacy. Yeah. And that's when we talk about sex. And so I had already, so at this point, I've seen the couple probably five, six, seven, eight, nine weeks, nine weeks at this point, I think. Wow. And nothing about sex has come up. And then I asked them point blank about it and they're very satisfied. And so what that, (laughs) isn't that funny? (laughs) This is making me uncomfortable. Let's not talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if it's just, I don't know why, but what I gather is that their sex is a, if if everything else is not going well, sex definitely isn't going to be going well. And so in those sessions, when I bring it up, I already know what they're going to say because I've already talked to them about all the areas that they're not connecting. They're not communicating. And so um, as far as stereotypes and whatnot, it's both. You know, I recently had a woman I'm working with and she said she wants it more. Her husband, she doesn't, she doesn't know why her husband doesn't want it more. And so that again is a conversation that needs to happen, communication. But the thing about it, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that because if we can have conversations about what we're doing for dinner, you know, the, the daily conversations couples have that they disagree on when they're volatile you know when they're at that volatile point if we can't have those conversations we're definitely not going to be able to have a civil conversation about sex yeah and so true you know so in reality we know these couples most most I would say couples are struggling in this area especially if they're seeking help counseling for anything you know that sex follows that they're struggling there too And so I don't, I'm not a should person. Like, I don't think you should be having sex this amount of time. I think 
sex is best when there's connection. And yeah. if there's connection, that means it's agreed upon by both people. They both want to do it. And so then the question remains, why doesn't he or she want to do it? Yeah. And that's, that's where there's work to do because it is a complicated issue. It's like, sometimes like I had a client where she didn't want to do it because she literally experienced pain. And so because they were under the thought where it's like, well, I still have my needs. I still need this. She would be having sex and she would be having pain every single time. Jeez. And so she doesn't want to say anything. She doesn't communicate about it. And oh, goodness. No. And so I'm thinking like, what kind of marriage is that? You know, that she's existing in that way. And then what kind of that there's no intimacy there. There's resentment is what it was. Because oh, I'm yeah. talking to the wife. And so the husband's getting his, his fix, but then there's no intimacy, there's no building. And so I think it also depends on what you see as a marriage. And for me, I see a marriage as an opportunity to be known and to know, to, yeah. to be authentic, to be with your best friend, to be able to have a conversation, to be able to laugh, you know, to, to have issues, but to work through them, even though they're hard. And so sure. I see marriage as that. It's a partnership. And if you have a partnership, then the shoulds when it comes to sex don't quite make sense in that, in that um, mind frame. And so what I like to do is look more at why isn't one partner wanting it? And sometimes we find there are actually real reasons, you know, like of something course. with a cycle with a woman yeah. having a cycle. Maybe the man is under a lot of stress at work, which you would have never known that. He would have never known that if we didn't dig and see, okay, what's going on in your day to day? Do you think about it? What's happening? And then we find, oh, you're overwhelmed at work and that's consuming your mind. Okay, now these are some things we can work on to, to help that. Yeah. I don't know if I answered Very your question. Very true. What was the you question? You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the question was, well, it's funny because uh, the last time we went to counseling, our counselor said, stop having, just don't have sex anymore. Just stop it. <laughs> because we were like, we have the best sex ever. Like, it's fine. And he's like, yeah. okay. But it's making you disregard all these other issues. Cause we were like, this is enough. We we're good at this. This feels good. We'll just keep doing yeah. this. And he's like, okay, but you guys are ignoring these key issues and you're getting confused because you just keep having sex with each other. And you're like, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. And he's like, and it's not fine. Like these patterns can't be broken because you guys are relying too heavily on this thing, which, you know, I was like, this is bad advice. Do I have to pay for this session? You're telling me not to have sex anymore? Like, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if I. Would, I think it's interesting. You guys still wanted to, but there, there it goes. It's because it's no, primal, it's right? not interesting because it's not primal. It's dysfunction pie. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. So what I'm it's saying is not good. What I'm saying is like because it's a pleasure thing. Like it's. It, it's innate like we want to have sex we're made to, to do that yeah it, it's almost as if in that regards and I won't put this in your I won't say this but I'm going to say this <laughs> please, please do if, don't hold back okay it's almost as if you were you could have had sex with anyone at that moment because you oh, didn't probably. have the connection there yeah so it's it, like you're having sex together but that connection and intimacy that sex actually um kind of puts a cherry on top if you will was not yeah. there or the only way we knew how to have any sort of intimacy was through sex. And, and yeah, that's not, that's yeah. not the cornerstone of it, right? Intimacy is much deeper and more complex with that. But we were like, well, this kind of intimacy is easy because it requires very little work. 
Yeah. But if you want me to have emotional intimacy, guess what? Time to put the work in. Yeah. And, and yeah, we, we, weren't, we weren't willing to do that. But we it, wanted the quick fix. Yeah, you wanted the quick fix, but you were, you were, you were doing something, you were having sex, which sex does, it can have a level of intimacy. I don't know that, I mean, we would have had, if I was working with you guys, we would have really had to like dissect that because yeah. I think there's a lot, it's a lot more than it appears. Um, because if you were all off on the intimacy connection level, but you were having the physical level, it's like, there's still some intimacy that will come from that. And so we, sure. yeah, I won't go and have a session with you now, but, <laughs> but I do I'll, call him. I'll call him and see know, if he wants to retroactively sort that out. I know. Right. Because typically he doesn't. Don't, yeah, no. people don't typically have sex because they're missing that intimacy. And so yeah. a lot of times that's the reason, but that's not always the reason. And that's why, again, we want to give ourselves the time to, to work through it and see what is really happening here. And, yeah. you know, why aren't we having sex? But it does require a conversation. And I think the fear part of it is, you know, you, you heard it said where it's like, well, if, if he's not getting it from you, he's getting it from somewhere else. Oh, or, yeah. You know, like things like that, I think bring in fear. But again, it depends on how you see a marriage. Like sex is a part of marriage. It's not the marriage. And the marriage is about two people who are in relationship, partnership, connecting, you know, and yeah. living life together. There's more that the marriage encompasses. So that's why I like to put sex, I think, in its proper place of yeah. an expression of the intimacy that exists in the marriage. Um, sure. Because that's unparalleled. You can't, like, that kind of sex is a sex that you can't, you can't top. You can't have a no. one night stand and have that kind of, no. you know, sensation. Right. Absolutely. 100%. I agree. I agree with you. All right. So a couple is listening, probably not a couple is listening to this, but a wife <laughs> or a husband is listening to this podcast right now. They are struggling. They don't necessarily have money to spend, right? I hear this all the time. We don't have the all money. Right. We don't have the time. Uh, but what is the one thing you'd say to them that they could start doing tomorrow that would actually possibly improve their relationship just a little bit. I mean, ultimately they're going to have to call you. They're going to have to come in. They're going to have to have a session. But if you're like, listen, we're passing by on the street. You have no money. I see you and your wife are struggling. This is what I would say to you. Yeah. Okay. So I want to answer that. But first I want to address the no money comment because that's you a common comment. Yeah. And time. so I think it's one of those questions where it's like, what is it worth to you? What is, what is a healthy relationship worth to you? Like, you know, we have money. We do. I would, I, would, I would beg to differ. You have money to do what's important to you. You know, yeah. so it's like, it sounds like if you had to go into emergency surgery, would you be able to find the money? If you had to, do, you know, something with your kid came up, you had to pay for something, would you be able to find the money that they really wanted to do? And a lot of times we put our relationship in the backseat when our relationship impacts all of those things. Yeah. And so... Um, think about how much do you buy lattes and think about how much would a divorce cost you? Do you does that make you want to have the money now to actually invest in the marriage? Because yeah, a lot of times divorces are crazy. Yeah, they're expensive. They're, I have a friend who's getting a divorce, right? I have a, several friends that are getting, all my friends are getting divorced right now. We kind of just, uh, we all meet and we all stay together, but uh, you're talking you know, 40,000, 80,000. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of these people have spent well over a hundred thousand dollars and right. they're still not divorced. 
They're right. still having to pay more money. So right. I can't express to you. And, and I thought a divorce will cost you five, 6,000 because my divorce was very, very cheap. But mm-hmm. I am telling you, you're talking thousands and thousands, 60, 70, $80,000 for some of these divorces. Yep. And it's like one session, couple sessions, like how much do those cost? Like if you could pay, let's say 150 a session for 10 sessions, who knows? I should know $1, that. $1,500, $1,500 sold. Yes. Right. So I just want to Nobody should that. say no to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not always great at challenging that because I understand money is a real issue, but then at the same time, we see what people are see- spending money on and their marriage is a real issue. So that's what I would say there. But if you don't have the money, <laughs> which you I sure do. So just stop saying <laughs> that. But if you're going to stick with that excuse, this is what we have to say. <laughs> yes. I would say to do the things that build intimacy and by intimacy, I mean connection, because out of that connection, everything else flows from sex, from conversations that you would have, from feeling known and like, you know, your, your spouse. And so you build connection by doing things like checking in, you know, have a daily check-in where you have some questions that you ask each other plan a date night. And if you don't have money, just get creative, plan it, take, go to a picnic, pack some stuff, go have a picnic somewhere, but do it consistently. Show your spouse that you are thinking of them, plan it every week. Say, Hey, this is what I want to do every week on the weekend. Just go away while the, get a babysitter, get some coffee with your spouse. Mm-hmm. So date nights, mm-hmm. conversation, check-ins. Um, and let's see if there's anything else. I, I don't, I think, yeah, just you can, Oh, in words, that's for free. You can speak life over your spouse. Like you can speak goodness, whether it's a text message, whether you see them, oh, you look really good today. Those words build inventory for you. So then when you have an argument in the past, like, you know, in the future or whatever, those words have already kind of um, made an atmosphere that is softer for that argument to actually play out because you've already invested all these positive words and actions into the relationship. And that's all for free. Yeah, absolutely. It is all, all good advice. All right. So when you aren't doing this, this coaching, when you're not giving people a new lease, a new relational (laughs) lease on, on life. What do you do Mm -hmm. to recharge? How do you build yourself back up when you're depleted? Cause I got to imagine it's depleting sometimes, maybe not because you love it so much, but I'm sure sometimes it gets taxing. Yeah. All jobs do. Yep. Yep. It can definitely get taxing. Um, I just remind myself. So basically I spend quiet time like with God, like I'll sit there. Some people would call it meditating and I'll sit there. I'll listen. I'll pray, I'll, I'll talk about if I feel heavy, because, you know, I help a lot of people. And because I'm a, like, I'm a feeler, you know, I care, I can, I can actually feel <laughs> some of the anxiety. Like if I meet with a couple that's anxious, then all of a sudden, I find myself talking fast, you know, and so I have to learn to actually not take on the burden that they're dealing with so that I can help them. And so I do that Um, like, so after the session, I'll go and I'll spend time with God. I'll listen, I'll detox. Um, and I'll just lay it out there, meditate. And then that's, so that's my biggest one. But then, um, and even before, like, even before I see, see people, I will sit there and I'll be in silence 
because I recognize that what's going to happen, you know, as, as I coach these couples through, they're going to have to do the work. Like I can yeah. help them, but it's not mine to carry. And so it's reminding myself about that, but then also um, putting myself in the right mind frame where I don't bring myself into the session. Yeah, I mean, I'm human. So obviously I bring myself, but as much as possible, like this is their relationship, their marriage. Right. And right. so I have to actually intentionally put myself in a place where I can just see clearly, okay, what are they dealing with? And so the meditation helps me do that. And then um, I go on walks in my neighborhood with my husband and my doggie. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is I take naps. <laughs> yeah. Amen, sister, because I'm a nap taker. And I tell you, I have not taken a nap once this week. I am by far the worst version of myself. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I'm the worst version of myself. But my one thing is I'm like, okay, what is going on this week? No naps. No naps. And I I take a 20 minute. I Oh, Sarah, I'm beyond mean. I'm beyond mean. Like I'm arguing, you know, I've been taking my sons to a lot of appointments because we do that during the summer. And I'm not joking, yesterday at the dentist, they were doing some weird thing where they were putting this cold pellet on my son's teeth to find out like how bad his cavity was. And I looked at him and I was went, what are you doing? Yeah. And he goes, we're testing for sensitivity. I go, how is that gonna impact how you feel the cavity two weeks from now? Yeah. He's like, well, we need to know how deep the decay is. I go, you know what I think? I think you should drill into that tooth two weeks from now and figure it out. <laughs> and he looked at me and I was like, I'm sorry. I haven't napped this yeah. week. Did I? Yeah. I apologize. I'm not at my best, but it's I was real. like really on edge. It is. It is. There, yeah. used, there was a book. Some, one of my son's um, care providers, I can't remember who it was, said it was something about giraffes. Why giraffes hmm. never get sick. Hmm. And, and the book is about the importance of taking naps. Wow. Yeah, okay, I gotta I look it up. I mean, I didn't really think about it as scientific, but look at me. I've been doing some scientific things here. Yeah, right? <laughs> you have. Yeah, because I will like be talking to my sons and I'm so irritated and I literally, I will say, mom, I'm sorry. I got to go take a nap and I will just leave. I'll just exit and I'll go take a nap and I'll wake up. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm back. I, it's so true. It is so true. I can't find the name of the book. I probably okay. should, but I'll put it up on social media. Or okay. what is it? Maybe it's an elephant or a rhinoceros. It's some big game animal. And okay. the book is about why why sleep is so important for, I mean, all people. But okay. big game animals too, it's important for apparently. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. Uh, let's give people all of the ways that they can get in touch with you because you are phenomenal. I know because I talked to you and now that we've heard a little bit more about you and your approach, I know that people are going to want to find you and connect with you. So how do they do that, Sarah? Well, they can schedule a free consultation on my website, which is hoperelentless.com. Awesome. And I'm on social media, so I'm on Instagram as at Hope Relentless. Perfect. Yeah, and, and any same other with Facebook. Same with Facebook. Uh-huh. That is phenomenal. Thank you for all of those ways to connect, and we'll put it on social media so people can click and just get to you. 
Okay, easily. Great. And uh, I so appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk to me and to give all of my listeners just your insight. It's so valuable. And it's just such an important reminder that our marriages, especially are the most important relationship our entire lives, and they need our time and attention. And we don't need to be waiting six years. No, please don't. Yes. And though I want to just end it with you're doing better than you think you are in the midst of it all. <laughs> you're married. You're doing better than you think you are. We, we yeah. weren't set up with a lot of examples and skills. And so now we, can, now we know. And now we can do different. And um, just not to be condemning or disqualify yourself. Um, but just to know you can always grow. We can always learn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Sarah. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week and a great weekend. Thank you so much, Trisha. Same to All you. Right. All righty. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our latest episode of Life Takes Shape. Please visit us on Facebook at Life Takes Shape Podcast. We also would love it if you would leave a review either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks so much.